Good Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you would give us, that you would show us your son and give us life through your spirit. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you are new to resurrection over the course of this summer, we've been spending a lot of our time focusing on this ancient practice of prayer and prayers is practice that God has given us to uh, connect with him in a life giving relationship and also to join with him in the good work that he is doing here and now in our world. And in our study, we've spent much of our time in the Psalms and these Psalms are ancient prayers that are meant to give shape and give words and connecting with God and joining with him in his work in the world. But in these last few weeks, we've really shifted from looking at these ancient prayers to actually an even better and more useful and more sure and helpful guide. And that is Jesus himself. We've been looking to Jesus for guidance and for direction for how we connect in this life giving relationship and how we join in this work that God is doing. And our first lesson from Jesus came not from what he said, but from what he did. Luke's gospel reminds us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And we saw this pattern again and again, Jesus stealing away time to spend extended time with his father, deriving life and joy, dependence, sustenance, And as the disciples see this pattern of Jesus continuing to move towards his father, stealing time away, they say, we want that. And they ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he gives them that familiar form that we've heard and prayed again and again in the Lord's prayer. Jesus guides them in how they are to pray and how they are to connect. And and this morning, we're looking at our third and final lesson that Jesus is giving us. And it's going to be both this week and next spent in this passage that we're in. But what what we're going to see takes place on the night before Jesus's death. So on the other side of this evening and on the other side of this prayer, Jesus knows what is waiting for him and what is waiting for him is a cross that in the next few hours, he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be abandoned. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be put on trial. He's going to be lied about. He's going to be spit on. He's going to be whipped. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be stripped of all his clothes. He's going to be completely humiliated. And then he's going to be nailed to a cross where he's going to be crucified. And what we're going to see is that that's not an accident. That's not just a tragedy that happens outside of the realm of God's plan. But this is done specifically according to a divine purpose that was meant for our good. And in these final hours, Jesus is with his closest disciples. And here's what we're told about this evening back in chapter 13. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So John tells us whatever's going to happen in these next four chapters is a manifestation of Jesus loving his disciples to the bitter end. 
He does this in three ways. The first thing he does is he takes the role of a humble and lowly servant and he does the unthinkable in washing his disciples' feet. Next, he spends time encouraging, sharing hope, pressing courage and life into their hearts as he knows the difficulties that they are going to face and how they are going to be utterly confused at what's going to happen to them next. And third and finally, he prays for them. And it's this prayer that we're going to be looking at this morning and next week. And what I want to note is, is this prayer, what we're going to focus on is not just these. This is Jesus giving a a lecture and a seminar. And and there are five tips that I want you to take away on how to pray. That's that's not going to be the focus. What I want you to really do is really just sit and listen to your Savior, the Son of God, speaking with his Father about you. What this prayer is, is a window into the very heart of God himself, into the heart of the Son, into the heart of the Father, and even into the work of the Spirit. And as we look through this window, there are two things that we see in Jesus' heart what's going on. We see a heart that is pulling in and a heart that is sending out. We see a heart that is pulling into life and a heart that is sending out on mission. And that's what we're going to focus on today. This heart that is pulling in and that is sending out. And first we're going to begin into this heart that pulls into life. So if you're a kid in here, have you, have you had that experience where your parents are talking and all of a sudden they ask you to leave the room and you don't want to leave the room because you want to hear what they're talking about. You want to be in on the conversation. They're asking you to leave the room because there's something that they want to talk about apart from you, which makes you want to be in there all the more. The conversation that we have here is an intimate and close conversation between Jesus the Son and God the Father. But what he doesn't say to his people, he doesn't say, I want you to get out of the room because I'm having a private, intimate moment with my Father where we're sharing about the deepest things of our life. And I don't want you to hear about this. We're we're like kids that are brought in. We want you to be a part of this conversation. We want you to listen in. It's a close and intimate conversation that the disciples are being brought into and that we here and now, 2000 years later across the world are being brought into. In some way, God is saying you belong in this inner circle. I know there are many circles in life that you feel on the outside of, that you feel left out of, looking into, wanting to be inside. But the most important and significant inner circle between the Father and Son and the Spirit, we have an invitation to be a part of. Into the shared life and love that exists between the Father and the Son. Think about the process of adoption. What happens in the process of adoption is you do not start with a child and say, we're going to take this child and what we're going to do is we're going to build a family around this child. This child is going to be the center. This child is going to be 
the, the center of gravity, the foundation, what everything in this family depends on. We're going to start with this little human life and build everything around it. What we do is we start with something bigger, something more stable. We start with a family that is the source of life, that is the center of gravity, and then a child is brought into that. We know from personal experience that when a child is made the center of a family, it cannot sustain the weight of that family. It cannot sustain the hopes of that family. It is too much for the child, and that child does not have enough resources to make that family work and to give life to that family. What is best for the child is to be brought into something that is much bigger than that child. It may sound counterintuitive, but what's best for the child is to not be the center. What's best for the child is to be brought into something bigger. That is what God is doing here. There is this life that is big, that is abundant, that's vast, that God is pulling us into. And that life is the shared love between the Father and the Son. Look at verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. To glorify is to honor. It's to show as valuable. It's to show as beautiful, as precious and good. And what we're seeing in the beginning of these verses is the nature of the relationship that exists between the Father and the Son. Notice what we don't see. We don't see jealousy. We don't see frustration. We don't see resentment. We don't see this competition. We don't see this tearing down. We don't see this belittling. We don't see this suspicions. All the things that we see in our human relationships, those are absent there. All we see is a shared love, a shared honor, a shared life, a shared trust, a shared delight. The good news that we hear is that there is something very special and good and precious that exists between the Father and the Son, and we're being brought in to that. They don't want to just keep it to themselves. They want to share it. They, but not out of a sense of need, of, of neediness or cleanliness. It's out of a sense of abundance, of security. Verse 6. I have made known your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. I've given them the words that you gave me, and they've received them. I'm praying for them, not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. Do you notice this? This triangle relationship that's being established here. There's a lot of yours and minds and I language between the father and the son. And then there's this people that they have set their love upon and that they are pulling in. And in verse two, we're we're told that the, the person of Jesus is given power and authority to accomplish whatever he wants. Now, 
We've lived long enough to know that people with a lot of authority and a lot of power that's unchecked is not a great thing. We're very suspicious of that. We've learned that the hard way. So when the son has power, when the son has authority, when he can look at a world and say, you know what? I can do whatever I want. What does he do? What would you do? We read that verse two, you have given me authority over all flesh, over everything to give, to give authority, to give eternal life to all that you have given me. He uses his power not to gain, but to give. Not what he can use or manipulate us to to draw out of us, but what he can give of himself to pour in to us. And there's so much that we can and need to say about this concept, eternal life, partly because it's so misunderstood, I think, in our culture and in Christian circles. But we, today we've just got to rest with what Jesus says in verse 3. Because he gives us a definition. He says, this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The knowing that Jesus is talking about here is not informational. It's not, I've, I've passed on this knowledge and these facts, and that's life. What he's talking about, this knowing is relational. It's close, it's connected. Being brought into a life-giving relationship with God. Because there's a problem. The story of humanity from the very beginning is... We choose life in all the wrong places. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, he describes this as a great exchange. He said, we looked at God and we looked at the things that he made and we exchanged him for his creation saying, this is better. I'll take this. I don't care what happens to you. The prophet Jeremiah describes it as looking at a fountain of living water and then looking at a broken cistern with muddy water that's leaking and saying, I think I'll have this. This is what I want to drink out of and live off of. And looking at the fountain of living water and saying, no, thank you. In the first Harry Potter book, there's a magical item called the Sorcerer's Stone. And it can be used to make the elixir of life, which means you can possess life that goes on forever. And so you can either have long life or you can sell this elixir for all the money you want. And people look at it. It's the object of desire. It's being fought over. And, and Dumbledore, the headmaster, in all his aged learning and wisdom, he knows the, the draw to this. And he tries to help Harry and others see through this illusion. He says about the stone, as much money in life as you could want. The two things most human beings would choose above everything. The trouble is humans do have a knack of choosing precisely those things that are worst for them. You know, the stone really is not such a wonderful thing. Jesus' heart is a wonderful thing. It's a never-ending well of life that we are invited to drink out of. There is a depth And there is a breadth to it. 
that the Father is pulling us into with the Son. It's not a response to goodness. It's not something that has been purchased by our morality anyway. It's described as a gift given lavishly to those who deserve something very different. So that's the kind of heart that Jesus has. That's the first part. We're being brought into something. That's Jesus praying here as Father, I've brought them in, bring them in. It's this movement here. But it doesn't stop there. That is good news for us. If we're just brought in and enjoy what is good and valuable above all things, but Jesus says, I want more. I'm not satisfied because my heart is actually bigger. There's more even that I'm concerned about. And so the heart of Jesus is not just about pulling in, but about sending out. Sending out on mission. Earlier in the gospel, Jesus is describing why he's come. And one of the ways he describes that is by saying, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. but he brings us into this ongoing work. He says, this is what I'm about, but listen to verse 18, saying to the Father, as you sent me into the world to give abundant life, so I have sent them into the world. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus is not just to be brought into something, but it's to be sent out. Not just brought into life, but sent out to share that life with others. To share that hope. To let that water and hope cascade down from us. Grace flows downstream. Always. We can see this in his prayer. That here's here's where it gets challenging for us. Because all of the, the pulling in sounds great. The sending out is a little bit more challenging because even what we hear from Jesus' prayer, this is a dangerous mission. When we watch how the world treated Jesus and how his mission ended for him, you think the disciples are not concerned about what it means for them. They know what he's been through. And especially after this, they're going to see him on the cross. This sending out may not be as, as cracked up As it was meant to be. Verse 11. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. Verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them. Not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Verse 14. I've given them your world and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I'm not praying for you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. There's so much that we could tease out there about the relationship between the church and the world and the ways I think the church can get it wrong. Um. But what we see here is that the church is meant to be a people that doesn't just stick to themselves, but a people who are sent out. Lydia's place is a great small picture of this. As I have been sent into the world, so I am sending you. When I, when I think about it, I'm still amazed 
at those first few months and the response to COVID-19. Specifically, what I'm talking about is responses of those uh, nurses and doctors who are at the front line. We can easily forget of, of what it's like even pre-vaccine era where you're, there's this virus that's spreading rapidly. You're seeing what it's doing in the people before you in our communities and around the world. And here you are in a hospital, in this place where death is happening, where sickness, where you do not know if this is going to jump from you. You're, you're moving into this place of great need and it's costing you. There is risk involved. And as I think back on that, I think that's a beautiful picture even of the life of the church. There were many like me who enjoyed staying at home during those days. You know, we've got all the toilet paper we need and all the frozen dinners we need. We've, we've ransacked all the stores and now we're safe. But we would watch on the news and see these, see these heroes. When it comes to the life of the church, there is this movement that Jesus is bringing us in and sending us out. There will be opposition. There will be difficulties. There will be challenges. And we want to ask the question, is this our heart? Is, is this prayer a reality for us? Do we, is it our desire to be brought into this? Or do we find just other things to be just better? Is it a longing to be brought into this? And then do we find ourselves participating with Jesus when it's good and easy, but also when it's challenging and when it's difficulty, moving towards places of need, places of suffering, meeting needs tangibly, but also bringing a message of hope that the Son of God gave everything for us that we might have life. And inviting others into that to partake into that. But more than a challenge, this prayer is an encouragement. This is Jesus praying for them and praying for you, which we'll see more of next week. And I want to end with these words because there's, there's meant to be a sense of security that comes out of this. You're meant to walk away from this with a sense of greater stability that the Son of God has purposes that include me to draw me in and to do whatever it takes to keep me. This comes from John 10. It's Jesus talking about what it means for him to be the good shepherd. I'll close with this. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And guess what? No one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand and I and the Father are one. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what we are brought into. We thank you that we're brought into it when you know our weaknesses, you know our brokenness, you know our sin, you know the choices we've made, you know the choices we still make. And yet there is a pull in your heart continually to draw us in. And would, would you draw us in further, please? And then would you send us out? Help us to be your hands and feet, your voice to a world in need, and the needs are great. Keep us 
sustain us, help us. May others know the joy of being in this inner circle that belongs to you, our God. Father, Son, and Spirit, in your name we pray. Amen.